behind our heads, we don't really talk about it, is that the currency actually is very stable. The ringgit, uh, the, the ringgit has never suffered, uh, like, like the Indonesia case, uh, the rupiah suffers the panic attacks one. Uh. Malaysia, very small scale panic attack. Uh. You know, I don't even call it panic attack. Uh. You say you, you go and wait for one month and come back, you'll be fine. Uh. Malaysia, we, we, we never had that sort of problem. And investors, they, they, they like that. Uh. They like that certainty. But the problem that they face now... Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firl.co slash free. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast, Best Place for Long-Term Store Investors. Today, we're going to get um, essentially an expert on the FDIs for Malaysia, specifically China and the region. This is always a hot topic for us Malaysians, right? We are an export dependent nation. If I remember my facts correctly, we are something like 70% of our GDP is ah, exports. So this is going to be a very important podcast for you investors to see where the money is flowing and uh, you know what's happening essentially. And so today, my guest is uh, Guan Lim. I'd love to do the introductions, but maybe Mr. Lim, you can share with us, like, what do you do? Okay, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me, uh, MJ, as well as the rest of the crew. I've uh, been watching your program for some time. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, thank you. So uh, what I do is that I'm a researcher at this place called National Graduate Institute for Policy Studies, GRIPS, in Tokyo. And, you know, I research and teach about development in economics. And my main interests are Chinese outward investments into the Global South. The Global South here means, uh, broadly speaking, Southeast Asia. Lah. And I look at the industrial transformation aspect of this uh, inflow of money. Lah. Right. So why is this something an area of uh, interest, right? Because there's uh, so many things you could be doing. I wasn't very good at Not wasn't. Am. I'm not very good at doing other things like, I don't know, uh, playing football cooking right okay. and and i realized that i only have a very limited amount of skills that are probably can earn some money and you know not die of hunger and okay. then those skills are are basically oh looking at numbers and explaining stuff right those are what i do i wouldn't say competently but i would say that the least bad right you, you have a list right and yeah. you do this thing not so good not so good not so good and you're left with this this side that is not too bad or right. this bad. Nah. That's basically me. Nah. Right. I mean, like, uh, is, like, is your background like econs or policy related? Is it econs? It's, my PhD was in economic geography. Oh. But prior to that, my, my undergrad was uh, engineering, nah, chemensh. Nah. Ah. Okay. Okay. So, like, uh, maybe I'm very interested now, like, how did that switch even happen? Because, 
chemical engineering and what you're doing is a quite a bit different, no? Mm. Actually, when I was younger, right, I don't know. I think you would have, uh, you would concur with this at one yeah. point, right? When, yeah. when you were younger, you know, you, you go to science streams, sub science stream yes. and art stream. Yes. Malaysia is these three only, right? Correct. Science, sub science, arts. And within arts, there's the huge umbrella. Mm. But those days, right, uh, because I was so young, I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, people say, hey, do this so that, you, you know, you can go on and do a science degree, engineering degree, which I eventually did. And halfway through, I, I realized I, I didn't like it that much. And at the time, I had a lot of time on my hands. Yeah, uh, I, At the time, those days, uh, you still go to library and read books. Uh, not mm -hmm. like today, you download and read. Yes, uh. yes. So I, I chanced upon The Economist. Uh. Those days, The Economist is not like today's Economist. Uh. It, was, it was more legit. <laughs> I wouldn't say legit. Uh. It was more, the substance was, was a now lot more. Now they have to sell like, their, their, their publisher. publisher what's the word? They have to sell uh, their, <laughs> their articles a bit more. That's why. Those days, it was, at least to me, like, I enjoy it. You know, I would just look and read, read, read. And, and basically, you know, if you come across uh, concepts, you just find it out yourself. Like. And I continued into my workplace. And, and then I realized that uh, a lot of times I was basically writing speeches for the, you know, writing reports and speeches for the higher ups. Oh. And then I realized that, hey, actually, I was not bad at doing that. And... And then I look around and say, like, hey, I can actually make a living out of it. Nah. I can actually make a living out of it. And, and so, you know, that time I, I also applied for a scholarship in Singapore. So I, I did my master's in economy there. And then I got another scholarship to do my PhD, lah, also in Singapore. So, so that, that basically paved the way. Lah. I see. So how do you, and I'm in Tokyo, which is where you are right now, right? Oh, I... I, my previous job, you know, I, I like it a lot. I like my colleagues, uh, my ex-colleagues a lot, but I wanted to move up and the opportunity wasn't there. So these uh, groups, they, they, they had an opening, which I think was quite good. And I applied to it and, and I got the job and, and, and it was also COVID uh, during those times. Uh. I see. So uh, I, I waited a bit. I, I took almost a six to eight months sabbatical in Malaysia. And, and then um, near the, the semi-darurat, uh, the semi-darurat mm -hmm. period, and and then I made my way to Japan only in Feb no not February, April twenty twenty two yes uh, no no April twenty twenty one sorry April twenty twenty one okay 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 interesting so um so I mean if I understand correctly so you 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 were mainly working in Singapore and then that's when you hopped to Japan about a couple almost two years ago now right yeah I see I see okay so. Now, let, let's get into one area I know that a lot of people globally and then also to a slightly lesser extent, Malaysia are very mm. interested in, which is the Belt and Road Initiative. I think two to three years ago, it was huge. Uh, it was a huge hot topic, right? I think whenever the West covers it, you get a lot of skepticism. And then, of course, in this part of the world, I think, and, and this part of the world in Africa, there's a lot more open arms, right, for the BRI. Mm. But maybe you can share with us what are some of the latest developments in the BRI and also how do you think that affects Malaysia specifically? Mm. Okay. The BRI, right, uh, Bell and Road, it was not called BRI, it was called the OBOR at yes, one point. Yes. 
Yes. At one point it was called OBOR yes. and then they realized that hey, Brie sounds better yeah, but yeah. Uh, it sounds like some kind of cheese, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, the Swiss cheese. Yes, correct. So, um, OBOR slash BRI started in 2013, right? And as you say, there was a lot of fanfare and optimism and then suddenly there, were, there was uh, myths, exaggeration and there was a lot of uh, negative spotlight too. Lah. And that was also the age of, uh, you know, Trumpism, lah, right? So um, there was a lot of uh, all this hot air, but but a lot of these things are very hard proof. Lah. And if you really look at all the documents, right, being uh, produced by the Chinese side and other sites, right, is that you realize that the Belt and Road, right, it says a lot, says a lot of things and it doesn't really carry substance in the sense that they all sound warm and fuzzy, right? Uh-huh. You want financial connectivity, people connectivity, right? And, and all these are good things. Who don't want that, right? I also want that, right? But what has transpired is that at least within Malaysia, right, and perhaps the rest of Southeast Asia is that the Brie is often uh, associated with Chinese FDI slash projects, right? Yes. I think uh, yes. if you live in Malaysia for the last five or six years, you probably know which projects we are talking about. And and they've been covered quite extensively. We won't go into detail there. But the other thing that we have to understand, right, is that uh, if you just look at the investment sites, right? Yes. You, you realize that China has massive current account surpluses. Yes. As such, it is a net saver to the global economy. And by extension, it is no different from Japan, Korea, and Taiwan, and even Germany, right? These are huge current account surplus players. And if you hold all these current account surplus in your own economy, it'll be very, very difficult because you have to sterilize them. And it's not cheap lah, to sterilize them. Okay, so, so hold on, on the there, other side little, of the... Uh, hold on for, for, for a moment, sorry to cut you off, but maybe you can translate for us uh, what does it mean for a country to have a current account, a current account surplus and what does uh, sterilize mean? Okay, uh, surplus is basically, okay, uh, like Malaysia, we sell a lot of electronics Stuff, and yep. palm oil, right? Yep. That's where your current account surplus comes from. But uh, when when that happens, you know, the money comes in, uh, some of it, uh, not some, all, almost all of it, you have a hole, right? And if you hold it, um, you, you can't just take in, oh, euros and US dollar, right? You have to sterilize them, change into ringgit, so on mm. and so forth. And if you hold all of them in your own country, right, it's going to overheat and cause a lot of problems. Right. So, so that is where the sterilization part comes. And the, the other part is that you have to park it outside. Lah. So for a lot of economies, like, like example, Malaysia and Singapore, right, we are quite lucky. We have the sovereign wealth funds. We have the Kazanas, the GICs. So this, these are the big players that move it outside. Lah. I see. So in China's yeah. case specifically, uh, they have something like three trillion in reserves, right? Mm-hmm. And are they all in US dollars or in RMB or mix? Most of it is the T bills that that uh, okay. Wall Street always talks about lah. The the yeah. U and all those are uh, those lah. Most of it is that, but of course, uh, I think over the last two years they've been trying to diversify, but but this thing come and go lah in the sense that. Uh, where else are you going to park your money at, right? Okay. You, you, can't, you can't go and buy UK bonds. Right? They have their own problems. 
right? So in the end, you can buy gold, but you know how much gold can you buy? It's a limited supply. Yeah. So yeah. yes. So um, right. Continue explaining the, the the exact problem and how what's the ripple effect of this? The the other thing is that uh, we were talking about the surplus, right? Mm -hmm. the, the Taiwan CJKT lah. The Chinese, Japanese, Korea, and Taiwanese, they all have huge current account surplus, right? And guess what? In Southeast Asia, uh, quite a few of us are deficit countries, right? Current account deficit countries. Uh, largely the Mekong states, lah. largely the Mekong states. Not so much Malaysia or Singapore. We are surplus. Lah. So what happens is that you have surplus, that guy has deficit and match made in heaven. Right? So that's, that's how you see, hey, uh, the recently there's this huge train, right? Railway in uh, Laos, right? Okay. Laos China okay. border. So that is one manifestation. And in Malaysia, there's a there's a few more. La. There's a few more. So how about the the projects? Like a lot of it has not manifested. But then we know specifically as Malaysians that there was some manifesting going on. Uh until I think Tun M decided to put a stop on the ECRL. Right, and I'm not sure if the HSR is can uh lumped into it, but maybe give us an update on that. And do you think like these projects will come back? And you know, um, yeah. I think for we we can look at ECRL. Right, the the thing about ECR, like you mentioned just now, is um, Tun Tun M uh, very famously uh renegotiated in Beijing, no less. Yeah. And after that, it was revived under different terms. And the recent, the most recent admin, uh, the one led by PM Anwar Ibrahim, right? Uh, yes. He has decided to continue with it. So ever since Tunem left, right? There's been a few governments, right? Mm -hmm. And all of them chose to maintain it, correct? All of them chose to maintain it. That means that there might be some merits to it. But the reason why we we use the word might is that uh, we don't really know because a lot of these uh, documents, right, uh, they are not publicly available. Uh. As far as I know, you can know maybe the the length, the number of stops, right? At one point, they, they had it in KL Central, right? They had the, the demo booths. Right? And funnily, the, the Korean had one as well, uh, probably to showcase their, <laughs> their technology uh, nearby, uh, uh, quite a small booth. Uh. So, so we don't have a lot of information. So. Um, there's also some geostrategic element to it, right? If you if you read uh, certain sources, they say, hey, you are cutting the streets of Malacca in half or something like that. Mm. So so that that is the geostrategic element, which are uh, hard to prove lah, anyway, if you ask me. It's quite hard to prove. But the other thing that I would really want to highlight is that the fact that so many governments uh, after Tun M uh, came on board. Actually, it was also, it was not even Tunem who started it. It was uh, PM Najib. Huh? This was PM Najib's baby. Yeah? So the fact that, you know, uh, all these governments chose to maintain it means that there must be some merits to it. Huh? There must be some merits to it. And do, do you think that uh, we are likely to get it and we are likely to restart everything or it's still going to take a while? It's still going to take a while because uh, the thing with these type of projects, right, uh, you had to buy land, clear land, right? You had to buy land, clear land, and then actually implement it. And and I think I think it's ongoing. It's ongoing, and it will take probably a few more years, lah. And the, the other counterparty a few years earlier than us was actually the Jakarta Bandung HSR. 
that is closer to completion. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, we will talk about the, the regional stuff a bit later on, but maybe going back to BRI, right? So if what you're saying is that there's more talk than walk, why have, have they been called out yet? And like, what is the implication of all, you know, all this uh, lack of activity, I guess? I think if you look at uh, just Chinese investments, let's not talk about loans and all those because a lot of these uh, HSRs, right? They are, they, are, they are usually concessions. They are usually concessions. The one that was uh, first offered to PM Najib was actually just, uh, you know, EPCC straight away. There's no long-term ownership, right? And the one negotiated by uh, our two Tuns, Tun Daim and Tun Mahathir is, is that is a joint venture company, so that it's a long term stake. So, so, so on that, you know, you you have to you have to thank the both of them, lah. On on that, you have to thank the both of them. So, in that sense, right, there is the loans part and there's the investments part, right? And there's investment part, right? Uh, we are talking about long term investments. There have been quite a few going on. Uh, some are high profile, some are not so uh high profile, lah. And a lot of the good ones, uh, they tend not to generate headlines because it's a good one. What's there to talk about, right? That's true. So, um, well, some, some of these of it, good ones, uh, maybe you can share with us. That has happened. The good ones, good ones are actually quite a lot. Nah. They mm. are quite a lot. There's one in, uh, I, I think this place, Kuching, yeah, Kuching. There's this uh, company called uh, Longyi, right? Longyi is a solar panel player, right? So, it's, uh, it's quite a big employer in the state of Sarawak. And prior to those guys entering, uh, Malaysia was not a significant player in the solar panel industry. Interesting. Uh, but now we are a big exporter. It doesn't mean that you know how to do it. Uh. It only says that you export a lot. If I look at the statistics, oh, Malaysia, you export a lot of solar panel. That's what people can read. But it doesn't really tell you that, hey, Malaysians, we are very, very good at making solar panel. Uh. So that's, that's case number one. And the other one is... Uh, the Alliance Steel Plant in MCKIP, right? Which is along the route for the ECRL. Uh. So um, I think, I don't know how much you know about the steel industry of Malaysia. Not but, much, um, but yes. We are not known as a big player. Uh. We are not known as a big player. And after the Chinese came, uh, Alliance Steel, uh, the statistics suddenly look very good. <laughs> So one of the, so you see, that's what I'm trying to piece here, right? Because on one hand, you said earlier on that the, the BRI is not, there's no, there's not much like what they promise and what actually transpires quite a bit of a gap. But what I'm seeing in Malaysia is that it's not quite the case, right? Because we, 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 did, we have gotten a lot of uh, tangible benefits. We have, we have. And that's, that's largely because of the, the structure of the economy, right? Mm-hmm. I think if you look at uh, long, long-term long trends, uh, we're talking about 50 years and 60 years. Uh, yeah. The, in Southeast Asia, generally most of us are pro-trade, pro-investments one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah correct. Generally, generally speaking. Uh, it's just how and the one that seems, it, yeah. As in, we, we also don't go around and pick fights internationally. Like, we, we don't really like to do things like that. Uh. So, um, the one that does it the best is Singapore, right? I think uh, no one will argue against that, right? Who is the number two? I think it's... Put aside uh, personal feelings. Put aside personal feelings. I would like to think it is... 
in recent times, definitely Indonesia. But if you take since independence, I would say us. But recent times, Indonesia. Yes, yes. That's the perception. Right. That's the perception. Because, because the, you know, if you look at the structure of the economy, right? Um, we were doing rubber, cocoa, tin, right? Back Today you're doing, oh, semicolon, right? So in that sense, you need the milieu. Uh? The, the milieu is very, very important. Yeah. And, and that, that helps in uh, fostering trade and investment, whether the other side is Chinese or Japanese or German, right? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter to us. Lah. Right. So wait, so, so are we second place? Just, sorry, just to confirm. I think overall, if you take the long term, I would still say that we are second place because frankly, who? I mean, the, the thing about Indonesia is that, is that uh, for a long time, they didn't do so well. I, I don't know how I don't know how old you are, but yeah. I can tell you how old I am. I'm my late thirties, uh, and uh, during the nineteen ninety seven Asian financial crisis, yeah, right? It was uh, yeah, the current PM was the MOF, right? The current PM was the MOF. So if you remember that period, uh, you remember the one ringgit, the one US dollar to three point eight one pack, right? I think you probably remember that 3. one 8, to three point eight one. Three point eight one. Okay, there's yes, one yes. behind. There's a 3.81. Yeah. I remember that number very well because that was how uh, we, we fixed the pack. Yeah. And if you remember, the, of course, there was a lot of uh, confusion and all those things, right? And uh, if you look at what happened around us, uh, we were quite sheltered. We were quite sheltered. And the Indonesians, you, you really pity them. Uh, the, 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 the growth really went like this, yeah? went like this and I mean, did not come out like this and after. there was like violence all over I still remember yes yes and that lasted quite some time that lasted quite some time and then they had this part where the leadership was not certain right so the post Suharto years was not so kind to them yes and people stayed away and all those and you easily lost four years right you easily lost four years huh? So in, in that sense, right, uh, if you look at it over a longer period, I don't, I don't really think that they, they, they have it better than us. I mean, they, they may give the impression that they're more pro-business and all those. And I, I think a lot of it is also down to personal leadership, right? I think uh, the Jokowi has his own brand, of, uh, own, brand own way yeah. of doing things and kudos to him. Kudos to him. But if you look over the long run, I think, you know, those are very long years. Huh? To lose four years, huh? It's a long time huh? to lose three, yeah. four years, and and the, the stigma associated with it huh? is is actually quite bad. And and let's not forget there was this this part where there was JW Marriott bombing as well, you know, mm. in mm. downtown Jakarta. There was so, a, there was also a, a mini diaspora of Indonesian Chinese because of the racial element, right? Of all oh, the yeah. suffering, right? Um. Oh yes. I want to get your thoughts on the reopening to China because, like, what are your thoughts? What are you seeing, right? Because your area of expertise is in FDIs, and one of the big issues that Malaysia always have with, you know, whether it's warranted or not, I don't know. But I know one thing that Malaysians always complain is that the government's not doing enough for FDIs and things like that. But, you know, I see that up north in Penang and all that, they're still getting all the Intel deals and all that. So what, what is your assessment of the FDI situation in Malaysia? And then maybe share your thoughts a little bit about the China reopening later. 
I think if you look at, again, long run, uh, yes, long yes. run, uh, and if you talk to people, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, the factory guys, on the, the, the long-term FDI the guy, as well as the, the fund manager guys, lah, right? The, the portfolio side guys. Huh? Generally, they, they have pretty good things to say about the country, you know, in the sense that, well, uh, our government is quite generous in giving incentives. Eh? We are quite generous, uh, probably too generous. Lah, but anyway, um, the other thing is that uh, the labor force is fairly competent. It's fairly competent uh, and the location is good. Infrastructure is good, right? Our highways are... I, I don't think anywhere else you can get better highways than us. Lah. Singapore really? one don't count. Lah, that no, they're a tiny area. Lah. Lah. Singapore, Singapore, you know, the thing about people comparing Malaysia to Singapore is that, look, Singapore is a city-state. Yes. It's a tiny area. You can't compare in Malaysia where we have to... It's not bigger. But yes, I digress. Continue. Yes. So they have gotten fairly good deals. Huh? Fairly good deals. And, and how to say, uh, the other thing that is often behind our heads, we don't really talk about it, is that the currency actually is very stable. The mm, ringgit, uh, okay, okay. The, the ringgit has never suffered, uh, like, like the Indonesia case, uh, the rupiah suffers the panic attacks one. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Malaysia, very small scale panic attack. Uh. You know, I don't even call it panic attack. Uh. You say you, you go and wait for one month and come back, you'll be fine. Uh. Malaysia, we, we, we never had that sort of problem. And investors, they, they, they like that. Uh. They like that certainty. But the problem that they face now is that, hey, uh, what you're doing can be replicated quite easily by someone in the Mekong states, right? Uh, uh, you know, Vietnam can do what you want. You, you can give people tax breaks. I can give people tax breaks, right? You, you, you can give, uh, okay, uh, this part where you can hire expat at a normal than normal rate, right? I can do that also. It's, it's, not that, it's not that difficult to do whatever that you're doing, right? So, and the other thing is that these guys are still cheaper than you. Yes. So what worked well for you in the 90s may not work well for you today, right? And, and that's where the middle income trap thing comes in, where people feel that, hey, uh, you know, uh, are we doing not enough stuff like that? So, so, how, do we, so that, how do we break past this, I guess, from your point of view? That is a middle income trap argument, right? Right. That, that is uh, another throwback to the PM Najib era. He, he, he did... He, 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 he did spend quite a lot of effort in, uh, you know, raising awareness of the middle income crap and, you know, dedicating a team to it. Uh. So, if you really look at it, uh, let's not talk about Malaysia first. Uh. We just talk about who broke through the middle income trap uh, in recent decades. Uh. We just talk about Asia only. Korea. Mm-hmm. Taiwan. Well, this, this one is a bit disputed uh, because in the sense that it's not really a country. Uh, we just say, oh, territory. Uh. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Hong Kong, which uh, also territory, territory types, uh, right? Uh, and Japan. Where, Singapore. Yeah, right. right. Yep. Japan doesn't really count because you were, you were already quite advanced by the 50s and that's 60s. True, that's true, that's true. <laughs> so you, you cannot really count Japan. Okay, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Singapore, yes. Yes. You cannot count Brunei, right? Yeah, that, that one's a cheat code. They have oil. And very few people. Yeah, you cannot come Brunei, right? Yeah. Can you come Macau? Macau is again Can territory. You so you're you're left with very, very little already, you know. So I'm not saying that stay there is good, right? Because because uh, you know, it's it's not that good in the sense that you 
you are squeezed on both ends. Like in the on one hand, you cannot compete against the Swedish, right, the Austrians or the Koreans. But on the other hand, you are squeezed by Ethiopia, Ghana, Cambodia, and Vietnam, right? So so that's where you are in. And and if you if you look at you stretch the sample size, huh? it looks even more depressing because who else have really made it over the last 50 years? Huh? It's, it's, it's very, very little. Very, very little. Right? In, in, in Latin America, only maybe Chile. Lah. But Chile, yes. you can say that it has the same issue as Brunei in the sense that you were born rich. You, you were born rich and, um, you know, they don't even have a very complex industry. Yeah? Will you Chile, say lah. in your assessment, right, that of all the quote-unquote middle-income nations in the region, Malaysia has the best chance. Well, first of all, I think we are closest when you look at some of our per capita income. We are already, we are already, I think the number for middle income is about 15,000 US dollars a year, right? I think right now we are at 12, 12, Mm. something like that. So we are quite close in a sense. Uh, I think I I personally thought PM Najib got pretty close to it, but of course, we all know what happened after that. Um, Mm -hmm. do you, do you think we are best positioned among all the Asian nations that could break into this uh, quote-unquote first world sort of country? I think most of us will not make it. I will, I will say very, very little. Right. And we'll probably have, we have the highest chance because you're nearest. Yes, yes. Simply yes, because yes. you are the nearest to it, right? So you automatically think that, hey, that guy would be the nearest. Yes, yes. But the reality is that the 15,000 thing, the, the yardstick changes. Every one or two years, the World Bank revises it. Uh, yes. And prior to that, they, they don't even have the lower middle income and higher middle income. Now now they have both, like, probably to make you feel better about yourself. Yeah, but yeah. but, yeah, but higher now they, middle, they have two. <laughs> you are higher middle. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and I don't know whether you realize this or not. Uh, um, around us, uh, the, the cluster around you, uh, the cluster around you is China. right? Some, in some years, China is higher. Some years, is lower. Uh, right? Because this depends a lot on currency exchange also, uh, which explains why it's so important to keep it stable. Uh. So China was, uh, for, for a few years, it was lower. For a few years, it was lower. Now it's and about now same it's or higher. Really. Uh, depending on yeah, yeah, the IMF correct. or World Bank, la, depending on who you use. La. Yes, correct. But the other thing, uh, minus away the Chinese, la, because uh, it's hard to compete against them. Those people that were clustered around you uh, are Russia, Argentina, Brazil, Poland, and, and all these guys, like, Czech was uh, too far away already, like, and Chile, like, right? So if you, if you look at this, like, all of us have fairly good natural resources, but not strong enough manufacturing, mm. right? Which, which means that the, the, the crux of the issue here is manufacturing, because guess what? The Koreans and the Taiwanese don't have a lot of natural resources, right? Kimchi don't count, uh. boy yeah, bands yeah. don't count. Uh. Yeah. That was much later. Boy bands came much later. Yeah, like. yeah. So yeah. They, yeah. they have manufacturing to, to push through it, and those who don't have it don't have manufacturing to go so is to it, really push through that. So how do we solve? Okay, a how do we solve this manufacturing moving up the manufacturing line, and then or b should we even rely on the manufacturing line? Because I mean, if you look at Singapore, you know Singapore like fifteen percent, only about fifteen percent of the economy, I believe, is manufacturing, right? So what what are your proposed solutions for this? I, I don't see any way out if you don't have a strong manufacturing sector, right? I see. Okay. You can do like the Indians. We jump straight to services and you do it. No, no, no one has ever done it before and have became 
rich, okay. except for Seychelles and all those guys, right? Right. No one has. There is no historical precedent for it, right? And guess who's making a very strong move at it? It's the Chinese. And even then, you could you, you could argue the that the Chinese yeah. don't have, but they don't have strong manufacturing industry either. Ah, okay. Well, okay. That I, I, okay. You know what? Maybe expand a little bit on that because I think when people think China, they think manufacturing. But what you're suggesting is that they're not strong. They are not strong. Who said they were strong? Okay, okay, yeah. Explain. No, I'm very interested. Yeah, explain what do you mean. Okay, okay. Uh, I I give you uh an analogy. Yeah. Uh. Okay, okay. Can you name an item that you were consumer goods? Ah, uh, then you know you don't go and buy the producer goods like like tractor and all. Don't count. Uh. we're talking about just consumer goods. Ah. Uh. Okay. Okay. Can you name me a Chinese branded consumer good that you are willingly gonna hold and is actually proud of it? And that you want to show off to other people because you feel good about it. Feel good, I think it's a bit hard, but usage I would have to say that that has been increasing. Like the TV that I'm looking at right now, that you know is is a Xiaomi TV. I use mm. uh okay TikTok's not really a good lah. It's a service. It's an app. Um, I don't use any Huawei phones or all that. Not that I can even if I wanted to. China brands, yeah, you're, you're right. I guess they're they're not there yet. I guess, or am I right to say that? Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with you because I I use a Xiaomi, but that's because uh in Japan it's very hard to buy dual sim dual sim phones like Malaysia. Any most people will sell you dual sim phone. Japan very difficult, one, huh? Japan mm-hmm. very difficult to 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 get things like that, huh? Unless you go and buy a clone phone or, or from Hong Kong, those type. Right. But generally, they they don't have strong manufacturing powerhouses, uh, to, to be very fair, at least in the consumer part. Maybe if you look at the, the producer good tractor, right? Yeah. Maybe you can get that, right? Stuff, Maybe you can right? get mm. that. Mm. And and it's 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 very, very difficult. And the reality is that the Chinese only enter this so-called global value chain slash global production network, right? Only by 1979, uh, because of uh, Deng Xiaoping. Uh, even then, they had to go and fight a war with the Chinese, the Vietnamese, uh, yes, at the correct. same time. <laughs> yeah. So they, they did two things at the same time. Uh. So the fact that you entered late, uh, you want to make TV. Remember those days got JVC, right? The one that sponsored Arsenal, JVC, sharp sponsor menu. Yes. Right? That time, Samsung was not famous yet. Uh. Yes, yes. Samsung was not famous for TVs and all those yet. Uh. And, 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 and then only you had higher, right? And, and then you have the case of computers, the one that I was talking about, computers, right? Because in the 90s, Dell was Dell yeah. was like the Huawei of today, right? Yeah. It was high-tech and you wanted to have a Dell. And then they started Legend slash Lenovo, right? And then you go and buy IBM. And as of today, Lenovo, it's a famous company, but most of its market share is in China. Yeah, and, and when you say you have a Lenovo, people know that you... I mean, it's cheap. Lah. That's what people associate it with, right? Lenovo, I'm not sure because I use an Asus Taiwanese. Okay. Lah, but but the, point, the point I'm yeah. trying to make is that the, the, it's so difficult to have a manufacturing powerhouse, right? And, and you know, it's because it's so spliced up, right? If you just look at your computers, lah, those days when we still had Hewlett-Packard, Compaq and all those, lah, and, and there was a time, I think some people mistook that Intel and Microsoft was the same company because they always come together. But it's not. It's yeah, spliced yeah, yeah. up, right? That's true, that's true. It's spliced up. Pentium 4. It's, yeah. 
You have the 386, right? Those days, 386. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the 386 or the, the thing. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought they were the same thing, but actually they're not. So the, how they're did not. like the Koreans and the Taiwanese do it then? And I guess I guess it if was, we were to go, we, we would look at these guys, right? Because they are they are countries of somewhat similar uh what's the word? Similar population, right? Obviously we have mm. a multiracial society they don't have. But yeah, how mm. did they do it? I would imagine that we would look to these guys, right, as reference mm. points. I don't think you could possibly replicate it, right? Mm -hmm. Because these two economies were born out of the Cold War, right? This was Cold War era. And the time doing a TikTok, doing an ESG, you could do a lot of things and really ah, get away with it. Ah, interesting point. And, and that included, uh, you know, lack of democracy. You probably know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, lack of democracy slash human rights. Point, yes. Yeah, For lack of uh, democracy, lack of human rights. And the other thing was, uh, I don't know how often you go to Korea, Taiwan, or China, but it's very hard to find money changer. One. Mm. It's very hard to find money changer. Is it on purpose or? Because these are people who have closed capital accounts. And, and, and FDI do not really like that. Of course. Makes sense. Yeah. And, and Malaysia is very, very easy to get money lender, right? It's oh. not even it's not even a challenge. Uh. You go out, you can find it, right? Yes. Every every, yeah, every like the uh, whole street you have. Yeah, that's very interesting, yeah. Uh, now that you mention it, yeah. Every mall has a money lender, right? Has a money exchange. Right? Yes. More than one. At least at least yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. At least one. Yeah, 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 yeah. At least one. Only tiny malls have one, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So Yeah. So then I I think as an extension, I have to ask you then, you know, how do you because you are in the country where you are at now, Tokyo, Japan, you know, we have this, a lot of our economy is modeled after the Japanese, right? The look east, the famous look east policy. Do you agree that we should still be adopting that uh, kind of mentality? I'm not sure whether our economy was modeled after the Japanese. I think we were modeled after the British. Okay, okay. I think, I think we were modeled after the British. Um and and the the Japanese Low East policy officially never ended, right? It was it was like the a vision, right? It was like the vision. So so it never really ended. And I think when Tun M and his team uh came to Japan in the 80s and the 90s, uh, um although they largely spend their time in Japan, they also look at other samples, right? But what we did during that era. And I think you, you have to throw back, you look at Renault Group, right? Yeah. Uh, privatization yeah. of TNB and so on and Correct. so forth, right? The early 90s, yep. We were actually doing the Korean model, the table, the vertically integrated model. Huh. Okay. We were actually doing that model without even realizing it. Even that's the better part. We're not even realizing it. Because for a long time, Japan, you cannot hold, you cannot organize your company in a pyramidal form. It was, it was prohibited for quite a long time. It was it was probably so we we did we came to Japan but really learn what the Koreans did. Right. I think what, what yeah. a lot of Malaysians I, and I would say probably the more the Malaysian Chinese community feels like is like you know, back in the day, whether it's football or manufacturing, we were sort of neck and neck with the Taiwanese and the Koreans and of course the currency was similar with uh Singapore and things like that. And over time we feel like we are being like left behind 
So I guess, do you think that those feelings are legitimate? Meaning, like it, it it's re- it's reasonable for us to have that because we had the opportunity to do it. Or do you feel like these other countries had certain advantages that we didn't have, and that's why they are ahead of us? I think that answer can be answered using the the, the yeah. points that you mentioned, yeah. right? Because uh, they had other things that you didn't have, and you had other things that they didn't have, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think losing to Japan, Korea, Taiwan, or Singapore is no shame, right? Mm-hmm. There's no shame in losing to these guys, right? Because everyone else loses to them, right? But really, if you if you if you look at against Thailand, against uh this guy uh Indonesia, then I think you 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 not only preserve your lead, uh, you actually increase the lead, uh, you actually increase the lead. So in in that sense, you you don't do too badly. And I don't know how much you know about Mexico, uh, because because I was just talking to my wife about uh Me- Mexico uh, okay, recently. Okay. Um, for a very long time, when you watch American movies, right, Mexico is portrayed not in a very positive light, right? And it's Sicario. always orange in color. Mexico is always very orange. Dusty, dusty, rusty, yes. rusty type, correct, right? Correct, but actually correct. it's not. You know, Mexico is long, you know, it's super, super long. And he has very interesting flora and fauna, right? Uh, it's, it's super, super interesting. And the other thing is that, guess what? The GDP for capita for Mexico is actually quite high. Yes. Not as high as us, but higher than Thailand. That's higher true. than Thailand. And, and they have the same problem as you in the sense that they manufacture a lot of things. But it's Levi's jeans, Nissan cars, things that they don't have propriety over. Things that the Western and the Japanese or, and increasingly the Koreans have propriety over, right? So in, in that sense, the, that is probably your proper benchmark. And when I was young, I remember uh, Mexico was higher than us, like GDP per capita. Mm. And now we are quite far ahead of Mexico already. No. I know Latin American countries are also very blessed, right? I think the case study people always bring up is Argentina. In the 50s, they were like the second highest in the world. And then they just fell up. But hey, at least they got three World Cups, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so I guess what I'm hearing from you is that Actually, we are on a pretty good trajectory, as in, given what we have, we shouldn't be expecting more. Is that, am, am I right to say that? For Malaysia? La. If you look at long run, then, you know, there's, there's a limit to what you can achieve. And to break through like Korea or Taiwan, you really have to pay a very high price, right? And some of the price that is paid by the Koreans uh, was, um, I don't know whether you know or not, but uh, until the 80s, uh, mid and late 80s, uh, almost all the banks in Korea are government-owned. Mm. Mm. And, and which means that you have no May Bank, no Public Bank, no Hong Leong Bank, no CIMB or whatever version behind it. And, and the other thing is that uh, when you have things like that, the government actually induces financial repression which means that your one won is going to worth, be worth a lot less and you had to work very, very hard to get $1. And, and of course, they juice it up to get export now and that's how they build out Hyundai, POSCO and all yeah. those. Yeah. But for the average Korean, even until today, their life is, yeah. is not as nice as us. You go out, you buy one nasi lemak, right? One nasi kanda. Maybe the guy, the, the guy overcharged you. But, but <laughs> the point is, for a long time, even until Korea is... is 
it's not that comfortable, right? Yeah. You, you know, not everyone dresses up in nice suit with a tie. Yeah. You know, uses nice handphone, right? Not not everyone gets to do that. Huh? You know, and you remember know, this. Yeah, correct. Sorry, continue, continue. And and this country suffered really badly during the during during the IMF period. Huh? Mm. Yes. It, it was it was it was quite bad for them, and we didn't have to suffer through it. Huh? We we suffered in another way, lah. But you know, not it not, not in, in that not in the manner that it did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, thanks for bringing this up because that's my next thing, right? I think one of the big things that I'm trying to get Malaysians to understand also is that yes, for sure, you you might see that we are not earning as much, and then of course, you there's always Singapore there to compare and things like that, and they are per capita incomes like what sixty five, sixty six thousand, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But the example I would like to give is that, hey, maybe instead of just assessing how much money you make. Also figure out that the cost of living, right? And you're in Japan right now. So maybe, right, for Malaysians, like give people a sense of what the cost of living like is in Japan versus Malaysia. They're not easy to compare, right? Because, yes. um, you know, Japan has been in uh, not high inflation for quite some time. Like, until recently, like, but that is ex- almost like acts of God. Like, recently, yeah. yeah. Right? So the cost of living because of that has been quite, they have been managed quite well. And uh, the one thing that, that Japan seems to keep the price very constant is actually eggs. Huh? Mm. Eggs, eggs, I think, uh, how many years? I think 10 years or more haven't increased the price already. Huh? So, so that, that is, that is uh, another consideration, right? Because the, you, you know, uh, of course, how much you earn minus how much you, you, you spend, so on, so on and so forth, right? And the other thing is that uh, Malaysia is actually, you know, in, in terms of tax, right? Uh, we we still don't have the VAT, right? VAT slash GST, and and how you're gonna run without that is is is, I you know, it's not easy to answer that. But but in Japan and a lot of countries, people have that, and that kind of increases the cost, lah, right? And the other thing is, uh, for the case of Malaysia, right, is um. A lot of pri- items are price controlled, right? Cooking oil, petrol. salt, sugar, petrol. I think there's two, right? One is control, one is not control, or something like that, lah, right? Correct. So, so if you add those things together, that that artificially pushes down the price. And the other thing is that this ties back down to currency exchange. Huh? The reality is that the BNM is very very competent. In yep. keeping inflation under control, although some people may not believe that, but it's true, huh? it's true, and and those figures are very very hard to fudge. Huh? And the other thing is that the uh, the currency, if your inflation is so high, your currency you sure suffer, huh? right? And and it's it's not it's it's not unique. I've never gone to a country where people say, hey, you know the the price is so cheap and we are so happy, yeah. Huh? Apart from Japanese eggs, huh? apart from Japanese eggs, you know, you know, one of the things that. I have to thank BNM for is their them being very rational on the price of the interest rates hike because I think globally, uh, especially the US, they were hiking, right? Singapore was hiking, everybody was hiking. And so naturally, the pressure on the ringgit will happen. And it did, right? 4.15 to 4.8, right? At the high. Today's 4.4, la, it has dropped. And the reason they didn't do that is because of inflation. It was relatively curbed. I think our inflation is at 3% only. 
uh, compared to the US, right, which was at the peak 9%. So they were rational and they were firm in not raising rates. They could have easily succumbed la, to that pressure. And so I have to give them that, that, that credit. La. And yeah, I guess going back to the discussion on, on FDIs, right, now that China is reopening, what's it like? What's your sense on what's happening? I think we will. I think, I think we will in the sense that what attracted Japanese or Western businesses to Malaysia are also equally appealing, if not more, to the Chinese, right? So, so that's one good thing. And uh, the other thing is that uh, I think the Malaysian government, right, is, is uh, we're generally very savvy in playing this international game. Huh? I, I know we, we don't give enough credit to them. Huh? Okay, interesting. We are, we are actually a very respected international player. Huh? Okay. You, you go to a lot of places, huh? even until today in Japan, huh? people still know who Mahatiru is, you know. They don't call Mahatiru. Mahatiru. They cannot spell Mahatiru. They say Mahatiru. Huh? Until, until today. Huh? So, so that tells you we have not, we have done certain things very well. Huh? We have done certain things super, super well. And this is one of it. And, and the, the Chinese, I think, uh, how, to, how to put it, uh, they, they value that as well. Huh? They value that as well. And I, I know at a very high level, you can see that we have some maritime disagreements, but, but those, those can be dealt separately. Huh? And, and I think people appreciate that. I know some ASEAN states may not be so, how to say, uh, uh, they may be more adamant, right? But I don't think Malaysia is one of them. So for that, you know, you're going to get some. Yeah. And the other yeah. thing is that, uh, you know, there's also pent-up demand. There's also pent-up demand. And uh, that, that, is, uh, that is only good for us. Lah. And do you think that the fact that we have probably the largest Chinese population in ASEAN do you think that helps? Definitely. I think it might help, but not so directly. Yeah? Oh, interesting. Because okay. at the end, because at the end day, right? Um, you're probably ethnic Chinese, right? I'm, I'm judging based on Jason, your face. Yeah, like, I am. I am. I am. Yeah. So, so if that is the case, right? Um, you don't actively think that you are part of the diaspora, and even if you are, th there's no direct linkage, uh, direct material linkage, right? I mean. Some of us may not even speak the language. And even if we did, uh, you know, the beliefs are different, right? So, so in that sense, I don't think, I, I think it might be a tick box, but I don't think it's like the make or break, right? The make or break at the end of the day is, is your climate good, right? Do you have a stable exchange rate, right? Number one, uh, and, and by extension, right? Do you have, predictable policy environment. And I think Malaysia is actually quite predictable. Quite predictable, which means that it's very hard to move away from middle income trap lah, because it's predictable, lah, yeah. right? Once you're breaking, breaking out, it means that you're not predictable already. Yeah? So that's, that's another thing. Uh, we, we have that. And uh, infrastructure is good, right? For the most part, you know, uh, at least in Peninsula, is quite good. Uh, political stability, although you can say that we used to be ranked higher. We used to be ranked higher, but um, there's also another debate, right? You want to be more democratic, yeah. right? Then, then this is probably the price that you have to pay. Lah. And that's not a bad thing. The Koreans went through it again. Don't forget that. The Koreans went through it. Uh, just that theirs coincided with uh, an, uh, an economic crisis, lah, right? 
the Indonesians went through it, also coincided with that, right? So we are quite lucky that we transitioned minus away the economic crisis. Because if you had to handle two of them at the same time, uh, uh, that's not going to be very pleasant. Uh. So looking forward with the FDI right now, right? What, what are some of the industries you think that based on Malaysia's policies or that will be the most attractive to not just the Chinese, but to foreign investors for that matter? Like you mentioned, is the semicon right? The mm -hmm. semicon, mm -hmm. but but again, we are largely in APT, right? We are only in assembly packaging testing. Yes. Uh, we have some EMS player. I think it was covered in some of your programs yes. prior to this. Uh? Correct, correct. But uh, our EMS are not of the same nature as Foxconn, right? You're mm -hmm. both EMS, but their EMS can 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 shake the world. Uh? Ours mm. cannot. We are tiny. Cannot, uh, small e, small e. We we are small super, e, super yeah, small. Well, but but the, the fact is uh because of the trade war there's some distortion right and and you're gonna benefit uh quite a bit uh. in fact we have benefited quite a bit uh. um i i don't know i think you might have covered this company uh siltera siltera oh, yeah? siltera yeah. dagang next uh. um for a long time uh what i know is that we've been trying to sell it right and there was Foxconn, XFAB, all these guys came in and eventually a mainland Chinese consortium was chosen. Correct me if I'm not wrong. It was yeah. a mainland Chinese consortium. Correct. Correct. So um, if you just judge it based on one single case, right, you must be hugely successful. right? Because prior to that, we had so much trouble finding people to buy it. And you could use the same example and extrapolate it to Proton. Gili, yeah. Why doesn't anyone talk about Proton? Yeah. They are also bought by Chinese. Uh. And the and the cars are amazing actually. Ever since they uh, it's a rebadging, uh, right? They yeah. they pay in the form of rebadging. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think uh, enough about Malaysia. Uh I know you also have a lot of interest in the region, specifically Indonesia. What are some of the trends you can maybe educate us Malaysians about that you're seeing in the region that are important? What, what kind of trends are we talking about? Uh, FDI trends, um, policy trends, things like that. I would, I would say, uh, how, how to put it this way? Yeah? Um, if you look at the stars, uh, the so-called stars, right? There's only two stars, right? Uh, what's his name? Indonesia and Vietnam, Vietnam right? Yes. So if, if you look at what they have, been doing uh, they've been getting the headlines like the Vietnam because a lot of these guys they want to diversify their supply chain therefore they choose Vietnam right and and before we before we clap hands and say anything right is that the reality is that the Vietnamese and by extension the nations uh, for many years they've been pushing reforms uh, and and these reforms are sometimes super super confusing because two steps forward one step back mm -hmm. those kind of things right but overall there is progress and when there is progress and there is suddenly hey foxconn wants to go to vietnam because uh you know you want to you know shelter yourself away from all these trade wars the vietnamese were ready right so in, in that sense it's it's you shouldn't judge based on one event or two events it's course. based on years Years and years of hard work, eh? and and the other in in Malay we say this is not durian runto, eh? the durian fall down thing, eh? and the same goes for Indonesia because uh when Jokowi came into power he he benchmarked a lot of things, eh? 
um, in the sense that oh, uh, we want to be more pro business. Therefore, we benchmark to WEF, World Bank, and all those things. TI, right? Very, very similar to what Najib did. Very, very similar to to what Najib did. Nah? So all these are quite consistent. And when it comes to China, right? Um, what I know is that um, the Indonesians they set up a dedicated China desk, lah, Which, uh, guess what? Malaysia we do it too. So in that, in a sense, we we are also doing the same things, but but because people are doing the same things at the lower base, that's why you can feel mm. it much bigger, right? When you when you compare Vietnam and Indonesia, what are some of the key differences, and also who you put if you had to invest on in only one country, where will you put your money? Well, it depends on which stock, right? Yes, depends of course, of stock. course. <laughs> But suppose let let let's say there was an ETF, right? You could buy the index fund of Indonesia or Vietnam. Which one would you put and why? I I would go to Vietnam simply because the they they have taken quite a lot of beating, and uh-huh. and but the the other thing about Vietnam is that uh, it's a closed financial system, la. So you and I cannot go and buy. You go to the CGS AMB and say, "Hey, you want to buy share Vietnam share?" People <laughs> they'll politely say, "Cannot, la. right?" So it's, it's quite difficult to, to buy that. Indonesia, you can. Indonesia, you can. And the next question is which sector, which industry, which company. Really. It goes back down to the, the FIRL starter kit, right? Yeah. You know? Or yeah. which one do you look at? Yes, so, yes. And, and the other thing that worries me about all this chest thumping or, or, or whatnot is that if you look at Vietnam, uh, it's suffering the, the same problems that we face today the, the, the younger version, they are the younger version of us. And why really? do I say that is because, well, again, uh, go back to the brands, uh, the, the part where, you know, you pick a Chinese brand that you want to, you know, uh, show off and consumer goods, not services. Uh, you can extend that to most Southeast Asian economies uh, and you would still struggle to pick a manufactured item. Indonesia, you only have Indomie, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Consumer good. And Indomie, probably Shin Ramen. Is Kopiko Indonesian? I think it might be. But, but uh, the other Indomie was under the Salim Group. Uh. Yeah. The Salim yeah. Group used to own the BCA. And then after the financial crisis, it changed hands. Uh. Yeah. yeah. Right. And for Malaysia, apart from Top Glove, Supermax, uh, but you cannot say that, oh, Top Glove is a consumer good, right? No, Until recently, no. it was not. Until recently, it was not. Nah, nah no. We, don't, we don't have manufactured brands. Uh. We are more B2B instead of B2C. I think the closest like big name brand is Asia. And then I'm going to shamelessly claim Grab. Uh, but they are not, they are, you know, their services are uh, not manufactured goods. Uh. You know, so you, you don't really have. And guess what? The Philipp the not the Philippines, the, the Vietnamese suffer from the same problem. Eh? But I, these problems are not obvious when your GDP or capita is only I think three thousand nine about Philippines level. They exceeded Philippines, I think, last year. And it's not obvious when you are at the low level, but it becomes harder and harder to generate that one ounce of growth. Eh? And yes. and if you look at Vietnam, you look at the they they only had the renovation reno, renovation doi moi thing in nineteen nineteen eighty six yeah nineteen eighty six, so if you look at that part and today more than twenty years almost forty years 
The high growth period was from 1986 to Asian financial crisis. And then growth secular slowdown until then it picked up until, oh, Lehman Brothers. And then they got hit really badly. And now it's picking up. But if you look at the moving average, it's getting lower and lower, right? But still higher than us. That's why we feel the pain, so speaking. We feel the pain. Yeah. We feel being slighted. But is it even proper to compare them to us, right? Yeah. And, I, I think, and, I mean, it's a problem of the entire region or so, right? Because even even for Singapore, there's no manufactured brands out of there. And, and unless you consider the Razer, the computer Razer mouse, lah, I guess that's one. Uh, Popia skin. They're pretty famous Popia skin, but that's about it, right? I think Singapore in the sense that, uh, well, there's creative, lah, the, the late founder recently, right? But, but uh, the, that company has not been active for, in a significant way for some time. But if you look at Singapore, right, you could say that maybe in very isolated cases like the uh, Singapore, Singapore technologies, lah, right? Singapore technologies, right? Maybe, maybe they have that, but but the the thing is that no matter how, right? Um, the manufacturing sector is not as weak as what we think. If you look at Singapore, if if I'm not wrong, about eighteen or twenty percent, for quite some time, manufacturing is is that big amount. Yes. And what they don't have in indigenous, they go and pluck lah. They go and pluck from like Bio Valley. Eh? If you go to NUS around the area, there's the Bio Valley. Eh? And, and, and there's also, you can poach grab from you. Eh? Why not? Yeah. I can poach grab from you. But those are not manufacturing, eh? of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. Right? You, you, could, you, you could even say that uh, if you stretch the argument, you could even say that Lee Kuan Yew was poached from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's from Ibon Johor. If right? you stretch the argument, right? It cannot end yeah. one or the, the yeah, argument yeah. cannot end. So yeah, if yeah, you yeah. if you look at it that way, right, the Southeast Asians we de- develop based on open trade, fairly open to FDI, fairly open, and because of that, right, you cannot really push whatever the Koreans did, right? Oh, you have financial repression. I don't think Johnson and Johnson or I don't know Cadbury is gonna love that man. Yeah, they're gonna complain and go to your minister of trade and basically make your life very difficult, lah. Right. One one of the things uh because at the end of the day, most of the people complaining about life. Or rather, this kind of comparisons. The kind of people that are making it are usually the Malaysian Chinese. But I don't know if you've done the math on this. I actually had an article, maybe I can send you personally later. But with the assumption of the Malaysian Chinese dominating 70% of the Malaysian economy, mm. what that translates to is Japan levels of GDP per capita for the for a Malaysian Chinese. Meaning, uh, we earn as much as the average Japanese, but we don't pay as much as the average Japanese in terms of living costs. And so life is, in fact, a lot better in that sense for a Malaysian Chinese. It's just that when we get lumped up with everything else, then, of course, it looks lower. So, um, yeah, I just thought I, I, I bring that up. And the last thing I want to ask you about is actually Japan. Japan is in a very unique, situation. I remember one of your papers, you were assessing how Japan should behave in the world of US-China preeminence, something to the extent, right? So being in Japan right now, what can you share with us? What's happening on the ground? And how does Japan see itself at least going forward in the next 10 or 20 years? 
I think Japan, right? Uh, if you look at the statistics, uh, yeah. If you pick uh, 1995 and today, right? You're going to be so disappointed because the GDP per capita of today is less than 1995, right? But, but everyone got smashed like, during that period. To, to, be, to be perfectly fair, everyone got smashed. But, but uh, the recovery was uh, quite uneven uh, for many of us. And it's just that the, the Japanese at 1995 was, was, was probably super, super advanced. Huh? I, I don't think people will forget that, right? That uh, when your, your parents ask you to go and buy a TV, what they were saying was buying JVC Sharp or, or something to that. Or Sony, yeah, Sony. How can I forget? Sony, yeah. So that was, that was the peak of it. And, and guess what? They are still very, very strong, right? In industries like cars, right? You go to most Asian countries, uh, most cars that you see are Japanese, mm. right? Most cars uh, and motorbikes, right? Before I forget, motorbikes. Uh. And if you look at EV, uh, if you just look at EV, right? The, the Toyota guys launched the Mirai. Mirai means future. Mirai means future. So the Mirai is hydrogen fuel cell. Uh, in, in my opinion, it's more stable than EV. Okay, okay. But people don't count it as EV. And, and the thing is, people don't even talk about Mirai is because um, you probably don't even know who the CEO is right? because the CEO keeps quiet most of the time. But you will know Tesla and yeah. all those guys. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you cannot even name the CEO of Samsung or, or, or Honda. You cannot because they the don't Lee talk family, And even yeah. if they did, yeah. and even if they did, we wouldn't understand, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's another thing. Huh? So they are still strong in this, these areas. And, and the other thing that people don't really talk about is recently there was the, the BOJ governor, uh, Kuroda-san. Mm-hmm. He, he changed, he tweaked the yield curve control, YCC thing, right? Yes, yes. Which means that what has happened is that the interest rate in Japan has gone up de facto, de facto gone up. And that is consequential to a lot of us because um, these guys are big investors. Huh? Whether you're talking about factories or portfolio, these guys are big. And some money will go back there. How much? We're not sure. Mm. We're not actually sure how much is going back there. So they are still consequential in that sense. But you would say that the 90s was, an, was a more easy place to live in because, you know, for a lot of uh, global investors uh, or even someone like Bill Clinton, uh, you want to go to Asia, you only need to talk to Japan, Kennedy. Just talk to the Japanese Kennedy, but today is so much different, eh? so much different, and and you know the and it is more multipolar lah. You can say that it's yeah. more multipolar, but but at the same time, I think the these advantages are not so easily taken away. Eh? I, I I don't believe that. Uh, no, you know, I don't think anyone can challenge Uniqlo. No, come to think about it, no, no one can really deliver to you at the same speed. Same cutting, same efficiency as Uniqlo mm-hmm. or Muji. Yeah? But we don't consciously think of them as, oh, Japanese, right? So I think that they have some advantages. It's just that all these strong companies, they tend to be very, very international. The weaker ones, uh, you, you know, we, we probably won't even talk about them, right? But they create a drag on the economy. But in, in the very, very leading edge one, I think, I think the, they will still be very, very consequential. Interesting, interesting. So, um, you know, uh, to sum up, right, what is your big message to the Malaysian investor? I think 
today we are seeing uh we are reaching the pre-pandemic lows in terms of participation in the stock market mm. for Malaysia. Certainly the mood on the ground is due to many factors, lah, you know, inflation, government, stuff mm. like that. Mood is not so good. Mm. Um, what's your message to M- Malaysian investors if you could tell them one message? You mean portfolio, right? Portfolio. Yeah, yeah, for their, the investor, lah, you know, for their own money. Should they stay on? Should they, what, sh- what should they do? I, I don't know, because I, I watch FIL for, for quite some time, so I'm a bit biased. Okay. But what I, what, I, what I know is that uh, wealth usually are made in incremental steps. Huh? They're not, mm. you're not going to like execute oh, 50% profit, 2x profit. You may do that once in a while, but not so often. You're more likely to make money along incremental steps, right? Mm. And sometimes they pay you dividend good, no? you know? So, so in, in that sense, if you are disciplined and not easily swayed by rumors or sentiment, right, then it should be okay. You know, that, that is my take. La. But that's because I adopt a very, very conservative strategy. Sure. Okay. All right, man. This, this is a simple but very good advice. And, uh, you know, Guani, thanks for coming on the pod. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, it's seldom I get to speak to a Malaysian all the way from Japan. And actually, fun fact for you, the last time I was in Japan, 2010, uh, myself and my family, we were on a tour guide. Uh, and the, uh, we were on a tour, and the tour guide uh, was from Penang. Can you believe it? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, yeah. I believe that. I really, believe yeah. that. There's a lot of Malaysian tour guides that are in Japan. I don't know. Yes, 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 really, yes. Yeah, yeah that, that was the period where the yen was so expensive, huh? This was Lehman Brothers, huh? Lehman, when Lehman Brothers uh, collapsed, huh? at the time the sentiment was di- different. Japan was the safe haven. Huh? Mm. So the Japan yen shot up. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And, and the GDP per capita also shot up. Lah. So between 1995 to 2022, there was a lot of things that happened. So one of it, you see the mountain was the, the Lehman period. period lah. It's like boom, it went up. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, man, Guaning, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And guys, hope you enjoyed the video. And yeah, Guaning, if someone wants to find you, where they can find you? Do you want to be found at all, actually? Uh, there's my email. Uh, my, my email. Uh, I have a LinkedIn, which uh, I, I use LinkedIn because I don't like Facebook because I got hacked and I don't have a very Oof. happy experience with Facebook ever since Fair enough. I got hacked. Interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, But LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Just I have LinkedIn. Guani Lim, lah, correct? Okay, guys, you heard it there. And yeah, guys, I uh, hope you enjoyed the video. As usual, you know, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, you know, the usual stuff. Uh, let us know, right? Um, uh, if you like this sort of content, comments or wherever. And guys, uh, hope to see you in the next pod. Bye-bye.